These days, so many podcast hosts just riff through unprepared segments until they get to the next ad break for pills they know nothing about, cheap razors, and whatever else they can get a buck from. But the Higher Side Chats does it differently. We succeed or fail on the quality of the content and your desire to hear more of it. So you're about to hear another free first hour episode that's here to prove the two hour shows are worth subscribing for. Five shows a month for just $8. Members get a mobile friendly website, a decade of archives, a dedicated RSS feed for the best podcast apps, and a lot deeper discussion than a single hour can allow for. Sponsor free with more for thee. Get a free seven-day trial of THC Plus at thehiresidechats.com. Enjoy! In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. The power of Christ compels you people. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and I am both deeply concerned about the next decade while also being strangely optimistic. Sure, we're entering into the age of techno-fascism, where the technology has finally caught up to the irrational elite desire to control every minute detail of the public's lives. From instituting individualized lockdowns for exceeding energy caps and facilitating financial plug-pulling for dissenting opinions, to corralling the people into 5G-enabled free-range smart cities in which they'll never be happier. But these actions are causing some seriously powerful reactions, and decentralized solutions to the writing on the wall have never been easier to find. Thankfully, many people got a taste of just how vulnerable they were during the worst of COVID policy implementation, have boldly said never again, and have started working to increase optionality in education, medicine, food sovereignty, financial autonomy, online privacy, and every other slice of the societal pie. And one of these important people that's with us here today is John Bush. Not only has he been a tyranny-fighting activist for 20 years, highlighting the creation of voluntary alternatives to authoritarian institutions, but he's also the co-founder of the Freedom Cell Network, along with Derek Bros, now over 34,000 people strong, where like-minded, liberty-leaning folks can find each other and actually build back better. He's also the man behind the Live Free Academy, a website that hosts educational workshops, events, and boot camps focused on helping people create more freedom and abundance in their lives, with offerings such as the Homesteading on a Budget Workshop, the Great Financial Reset Response Webinar, the Free the Children Homeschool Summit, the Buy Land Build Community Boot Camp, and more. But that's not all, folks. He also produces the Live Free Now podcast and is co-creating with Derek once again the Greater Reset Conference, now preparing for its fourth event this January in which THC is a proud sponsor. Encouraging you to take the boot off your neck, the yoke off your back, and the teat out of your mouth, the techno-fascism fighter, Live Free Academy educator, and decentralizer extraordinaire, John Bush, welcome to the higher side. Hey, thanks so much for having me. What a great introduction. (laughs) Thanks for saying so. Man, this is great. 
We set this up after my last interview with Derek. He and I have done a few, but after the last one, it just clicked for me how great the work you guys are doing really is. I'm totally on the same page you are, and both of you guys are inspirational and in making me realize I could be doing so much more. I have this one iron in the fire, and you guys have like five each. I did step up to be a sponsor of the Greater Reset, though, so that's a start. Hey, I, I appreciate that. That's really <laughs> solid of you, and we're really excited to have you on board, and your message is, is solid, too. So we got a mutual admiration society going here. Yes, yes. Cheers to that. So... I thought we could structure this in a sort of problem-reaction-solution way, going over the various categories that are important to focus on. But to kick this off in sort of a broad way, I've heard you say that you think the capstone cabal really woke a sleeping giant with COVID policies and this technocracy talk. And I tend to agree, but elaborate on that if you could. Sure. Well, you know, part of the work that I do, and I think something that's unique to what I offer for this whole freedom truth movement, has a lot to do with self-development and having what I like to call a sovereign mindset, basically being in control of our mind. And when we're in control of our mind, we can really leverage it to do some beautiful things for ourselves as opposed to being our own worst enemy, which often happens with people, especially when they're kind of terrified about this new world order thing. But I'm a firm believer in, you know, our perception is our reality. I'm a big fan of the law of attraction as well. And the way that I view this whole COVID nonsense, I like to view it with gratitude because there were a lot of people that were slumbering and there were a lot of people that were aware of this whole New World Order global agenda, right? But it wasn't until COVID came about and the subsequent lockdowns and increase in surveillance and the protests and then the response to the protests that people really got active. They got activated. In fact, the Freedom Cell Network, we had less than a thousand people before COVID. Now, post COVID, we have 34,000 people. So like you said, I've been studying this stuff for 20 years. And back in the day, it seemed like it was this far off concept that, you know, we got to wake people up so we can prevent this from happening. And then with COVID-19 and, you know, the powers that wish they were, their response it's pretty crystal clear that we are now in the thick of it. And so there's multiple ways to look at that. We can feel victimized. We can feel disempowered. We can worry and cry and scream about it and whine about it. Or we can say, you know what? I feel blessed to be alive in this moment of history because I get to play an active role in the transformation of society away from tyranny, away from control, away from centralization of power and towards freedom, towards voluntary relationships and decentralized systems. And that's the way that I choose to look at it. And I highly encourage folks to adopt that mindset as well, because it makes a world of difference in not only your feelings and the quality of life you enjoy, but it definitely adds fuel to the fire to get more active. Amen, Father John. And yes, the urgency became quite clear so often we end up just waking up to some news like 9-11 and we're now in the aftermath of something the elite have enacted. And of course, there's a continuum there with the Patriot Act and all that kind of stuff. But oftentimes events are quick and then we hear about them. We're like, well, that's suspect, whether it's like a mass shooting or a false flag. But COVID was something that lasted two years. The policies lasted forever. We had a lot of time to think about our vulnerabilities. And then, yes, the urgency 
for change became quite clear. Once we got kind of out of it, it was like, okay, well, that can't happen again. Let's build systems that are better than that for basically all the different categories of life. And we will have options next time around. And I think that's a beautiful thing. You know, one of the things that are that's going around right now that people are talking about is that Emily Oster article from The Atlantic calling for pandemic amnesty and forgiveness over what was said and done during COVID. And it's easy for people on our side of the fence to get frustrated over that. It's easy to go back and see that she was basically cheering on the firing of the unvaccinated and supporting making us second class citizens, even kind of not necessarily cheering on death, but definitely not having empathy for anyone that would have a death and then also not a jab. Just really cold hearted bullshit that we saw kind of across the board. But the beautiful thing about that article is that she clearly realizes she was wrong. She clearly isn't proud of her behavior in the wake of almost everything that we know at this point, like the shots didn't do anything uh, except open people up to a new range of health risks. But, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that she or anyone else from that perspective should get a pass, but it's amazing that they're starting to at least sober up and ask for one. That alone surprises me and should be considered a step in the right direction, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'm with you. I think that article really struck a nerve with folks. And again, there's multiple ways to look at it. I mean, like the Buddhist in me would want to forgive and have compassion for these folks, which I tried my best and I did have compassion for people. Anytime I would watch the news, or I would usually get most of my mainstream news in the car, you know, doing like the ABC News or the Fox News radio news spot. But even still to this day, they're still pounding on little cases flaring up here and there and still encouraging people to take these shots and these boosters. But back in the day, in the thick of it, of course, it was really intense what was coming out of the media. And so for folks that believe the media, for folks that believe in public health and Anthony Fauci, as they've been trained to do their entire lives in government schools and beyond, you know, I had sympathy for folks. They were terrified and, you know, people were dying. Right. And so I try my best to have compassion. But at the same time, there's certain things that took place. Perhaps the most gruesome of it all was preventing dying elderly folks from having their family at their bedside for their last breaths, you know, just tearing these families apart and then everything that happened to the children. So it's like what they did to the children and what they did to the elderly, you know, there's really no forgiving that. But it's important that we rise above and we try to be the best people that we can be, treat others how we would want to be treated. But yeah, it is shifting. And I think that's a positive thing. And I remain optimistic in spite of their best efforts, in spite of being in total control of the media, the mainstream media, there was still massive pushback and massive resistance. And while many people did line up and go along to get along and get those shots, for example, tons of people resisted. Tons of people resisted to the point of losing their job because they wanted to stand on their principle. Not to mention, if it wasn't for the success of the alternative media, they wouldn't need to censor. So all of this crazy effort to censor on big tech platforms is just yet another indicator that we are in fact winning. So that's the mindset that I choose to have of it. Do they deserve an amnesty? I don't think so. I think people need to be held accountable. And for anybody that was critically thinking, it was pretty clear 
pretty early on that this was a fraud, this was a scam, this was yet another play in their New World Order playbook. But yeah, I got a kick out of that article, and I do think it is a sign of the times that people are finally coming around. But put people in a state of panic and fear once again, I have a feeling the large majority of the public is going to go right back to begging for their own slavery and harming and coercing those that aren't going along with it. So as you said, that's why it's so critical that we build these alternative systems. So when this thing rears its ugly head again, maybe it's a different form, maybe it's a climate thing, maybe it's a false flag, who knows? We're prepared and we don't lose out on our freedom. (laughs) Well, well said. And you're right. There are layers to it. I definitely think the perpetrators of all this should be in jail or worse. But the Kool-Aid drinkers, the average citizens that just bought into it, I have a little more empathy for. I mean, on one hand, I absolutely am frustrated with them, was frustrated with them, think they deserve what they get. But it's also kind of like I have an empathy for people who are brainwashed. I mean, it's kind of like the denial of an addict or a cult member. You could be their best friend and you say, look, man, you have a problem or you are in a cult. And it's just like, fuck you. No, I'm not. You don't know what you're talking about. And when they finally realize that maybe you were right a little bit, sometimes I don't really need them to make that clear. I don't really need this big apology and to make it a bit. I just need to know that, like, you're going to be smarter next time. And that's kind of where I draw the line in the sand is I just felt very isolated in my friend group with almost nobody being on my page. So if half of them can at least come around and admit like, hey, next time I'm going to be totally quiet about things I don't understand and I'm going to support your choice, even if I fold and make the stupid choice and go with the system, I'm at least going to be open enough to support choices for people bold enough to make them like (laughs) Maybe I'm hopelessly optimistic and maybe I'm just going to be like a a battered wife getting beat up time and time again. But that's the place I want to try to bring people because the only power we have is our numbers, really. And so I want to increase those numbers, at least if it's a half measure, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, it's important for us to be good to our fellow human beings at the end of the day, not be vindictive or bitter, because when we hold on to that resentment and those feelings internally, that affects our overall well-being as well. I actually have my 20-year high school reunion coming up. Mm. It's funny because when this first started popping off, you know, I was banging on what's really going on and the infection fatality rate and they're not telling us about this or that and the numbers. And it was pretty clear that it was certain populations, a very small number of the population that was susceptible. And the population that was most susceptible were people that were already ill, sick, had disease, were much older, right? A lot of folks that may have been susceptible to the flu or perhaps were going to pass anyway, right? And so I noticed quickly, like all my old high school buddies and people that were just in circles close to mine that we were friends on Facebook, everybody pushed back and got real defensive. And I noticed that they either blocked me or unfollowed me. But I noticed over the course of a couple of weeks, that all of a sudden I wasn't seeing them anymore. So I think the algorithm was like, we got to protect these people from this crazy guy here. They're obviously <laughs> not happy about it, what he's saying. I don't expect a lot of people mainly because of their ego to admit that perhaps they were wrong or they treated people poorly. And that's okay. I don't really need them to. But like you said, I do want to convey to my family and I do convey to my family, especially who I care deeply about not to fall for this kind of stuff again. And I hope that 
You lose trust in this public health institution and recognize that they are not looking out for your best interest. But at the end of the day, the whole COVID thing really helped me to see that there's this fracturing in society. I think that's the term bros used for it, where we have these different groups. You have the masses. There was always been the masses. The masses never changed the course of history, by the way. They just go along to get along. So it's not even necessary for us to wake all of them up in order to bring about change in this world. And then quickly we saw there was a remnant that was forming, the people that rejected the status quo, and more importantly, the people that are willing to put the work in to rebuild society anew as it collapses all around us. And so one thing, you know, I don't don't like to be tribal. I, I love all human beings, but I definitely have a greater tendency now to circle the wagons, to get closer, to build greater relationships, connections, business partnerships, opportunities, creating systems, growing food together with our freedom community, because I think now more than ever, it's important that we identify the people that get it, that think like we do, and we start working together and building that trust together. Because at the end of the day, it's pretty clear that the bulk of the people in this world will turn against us if they are afraid enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. And another reason I have empathy for these people as they pull their heads out of the sand is because of the damage done. The clot shot story is not over. And now they have a whole new fear to deal with if they're really still paying attention to the news. It's just almost a meme at this point that the establishment will blame all these sudden deaths and cardiac events on anything but the shot. You see articles about not getting enough sleep causes heart attacks in young people. The sun can cause heart attacks in young people. The health authorities know Everything except what's causing SAD, sudden adult death syndrome, which makes you wonder what SIDS is too, right? But hey, we got high profile people like Ben Shapiro saying, yeah, I got that one wrong. Artists pulling their tour dates over health problems, athletes dropping in the middle of the game. It's sad to see, but we're trending in the direction of more and more people realizing they were tricked and lied to rather than less. But what are your thoughts on the true clot shot fallout? and the latest data that we're seeing, like the latest things we're hearing. Well, there's a lot of people in the alternative media that were, you know, screaming that this is depopulation. The whole purpose of it is depopulation. There's all sorts of theories. And frankly, it kind of puzzles me that people in our movement are so obsessed with the vaccine still to this day, to where they're like going as deep as they possibly can on graphene oxide or snake (laughs) venom in the water was the thing for a while. and. I just always try to focus on building and solutions and what can we do in order to avoid this type of stuff in the future. It is a fascinating body of study, of course. But at first I was like, no, I don't think that everybody's going to die that took the shot like people were saying. But as time goes on, it is becoming clear that, wow, like, I don't think we've even seen the full extent of the negative consequences that are going to take place. I remember, I think it was Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, she was saying, You know, in reality, the big gain here for the pharmaceutical industrial complex is going to come years from now when there's an increase in cancer rates, when there's an increase in negative health consequences. That's going to create an artificial demand for more pharmaceuticals, for more Western medicine. So Mm -hmm. it's a damn shame. And I think the most important takeaway as far as what can we do is just ensure that we're all in optimal health to the best of our ability. We're eating well, we're exercising well, we're minimizing stress in our life. And a lot of people get really stressed out over this stuff and they end up 
feeling so overwhelmed and anxious and like everything's going to happen next week. There's a collapse happening next week, September 24th or whatever. They, you know, really reduce their quality of life and then they end up harming and tarnishing relationships with people that are close to them. So one thing I always try to convey is, you know, let's be graceful with one another and let's not let our differences and the way we think about the vaccine or this COVID stuff or politics in general get in the way of our family relationships, because really nothing's more important, in my opinion, is the connection that we have with those that are close to us. But I do think that we're barely even seeing the tip of the iceberg when it comes to negative outcomes. And I, you know, I pray and hope that it isn't as bad as some people suspect it to be. But with all these people that are just dying, like literally falling and just dying out of nowhere, this could just be the first wave of the negative effects of this crazy shot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm right there with you. And if you've tried that thing where you just put in the day's date or yesterday's date and the words died suddenly and just look at all the articles and they never ask, hey, uh, could it be related to that shot? But I think a lot of us tend to know that it was. And then there's that new documentary died suddenly coming out. I'm kind of psyched to see that. It's not going to be a, a fun, enjoyable watch, but I mean, I do kind of want to wrap my head around like what it's really going to look like. I just want an honest, raw assessment, regardless of how depressing it might be. Uh, and I'm glad someone put that kind of thing together. But either way, let's get into some areas beyond COVID. What would you consider to be the biggest challenges on the road ahead when it comes to Agenda 2030 and the UN Sustainable Development Goals? And how are you working to help people overcome them? Okay, sure. Yeah, I learned about Agenda 21 back in like 2010 or so, 2011, and started speaking out at the Austin City Council because it was clear their comprehensive planning process and everything was Agenda 21. They're pushing for smart growth and stuff. Since then, it's totally been infected in just about every facet of life, especially government and all these big mega corporations. So, you know, I'm a big fan of moving out of the big cities and into the country. We put together this whole summit. This is the second time we did it. We're doing it again in May of 2023. It's called the Exit and Build Land Summit. And we do have the replay. People can watch for free at exitandbuildlandsummit.com. But the whole idea was like, what can we do to help? inspire, educate, and empower people. So they have the equipment, the tools, and the knowledge, and the connections, the relationships to move out of the big cities and out into the country where they can buy a homestead or they can cooperatively buy land with one another. And of course, my early assessment of Agenda 21 and the Global Biodiversity Assessment and all, this, all these compendium documents was that they are making a concerted effort to make it more difficult for people to live out in the rural areas. And oftentimes, you know, a great lesson is whatever they want for you, we should do the opposite, right? They're like, you'll own nothing and be happy. I'm like, I need to buy some assets and get some land and all this stuff, right? So that's one of the big challenges I see. This whole Agenda 2030, the Sustainable Development Goals, smart cities, Internet of Things, Internet of Bodies, interconnectivity through the 5G system, the Surveillance Society. I think that it is going to be most impactful on people's freedom and privacy in the big cities. Already, tyranny was most prevalent in the big cities, not to mention crime and all these riots that broke out, pollution, traffic, authoritarian police. Cameras already were all over the place, but as this smart city agenda rolls out, this basically like panopticon society, prison city system 
that's where it's going to be most challenging for we, the free people, to live as free people. So I highly encourage people to consider at least moving 30, 40 minutes out of a major city. I understand people have family, people have careers. But if you're stuck in the city center or in an apartment complex near the big city or even in the suburbs, you can expect that if crap really hits the fan and we have some sort of economic collapse situation, there is going to be a lot of trouble and chaos in that city. And then on the flip side, what I believe to be the more likely scenario than some cataclysmic crash that everybody thinks is right around the corner. I've been thinking that since 2006 and then it never really came. Even the 2007, right. 2008 thing, you know, that was painful, but it wasn't like Mad Max style collapse situation. So I kind of started to realize that, in fact, the real agenda, I believe, is more of a gradualism, Fabian socialism, getting people to willingly accept it and the frog in the boiling pot scenario where before you know it, over time, over the course of decades, and of course, this is supposed to be the decade of transformation between now and 2030, they'll slowly and subtly roll out their agenda. But besides the prospect of a crash or collapse, that is where the agenda is going to be rolled out the most. So a couple of years ago, my fiance and I, we saved up some money. We worked real hard. We downsized and lived in a 399 square foot tiny home with our two kiddos. It was a sacrifice so we could put together the down payment to buy a 10 acre homestead. And since we've done that, it's been incredible. The freedom that we experience, the neighbors are totally down. They even spoke out against it. They're like, you guys aren't getting that shot, are you? And we're like, oh no, of course not. They're like, either we, you know, for Christian reasons, it's the mark of the beast basically. And we're like, yeah, that's our guy right there. Great neighbors, <laughs> no traffic. Got this really sweet office here that we run all the companies out of in the small town that we live near. So. It's just a big difference, especially when it came to the masking and the enforcement of this or that. When you walk into a store, it is fewer and far between when you get out in the country. So one of my big visions, what I want to create, in fact, my life's work I've identified is to create an environment where the free people of our community can experience political autonomy, nothing short of self-governance. And it's my vision and my strategy that this is going to take place outside the cities where we all move into clusters, perhaps near Morelia, Mexico. Derek's got a lot of folks that are down there. We're here in Central Texas. The Free State Project up in New Hampshire has a lot going on there. And we link up, we build these alternatives, we exit those systems and build the alternatives that are decentralized, the parallel society idea. And eventually when we amass enough people, when we have the strength and numbers needed we can effectively opt out of their systems and try to create an environment where we can coexist peacefully, but we're doing our own thing, essentially. It may take decades or generations, but that's where I see things going. That's where I'm trying to steer things personally with my life's work. But yeah, to answer your question, I think one of the biggest hurdles, biggest weaknesses that free people that recognize what's going on are experiencing and setting themselves up for a lot of trouble is if they reside in the city. So I highly encourage folks to consider coming up with a plan. Doesn't have to be overnight. Doesn't have to be even this year, but come up with a plan so you can move outside of the tyrannical technocratic cities and experience much greater freedom and resilience through homesteading and growing your own food and getting off the grid out here in the country. Yeah, if we're going to decentralize all the things, one of those things is people. Mm -hmm. 
So it's just like, you know, imagine a, a shepherd and sheep. He only really needs one dog to get all the sheep to go with the herd. But imagine if they all go off in different directions. Yeah. I'm sure he would just throw up his hands and be like, I got to get a different line of work. <laughs> and I'm hoping that happens with this agenda. It's like if the crazy psychopathic idea of controlling every individual person is going to be implemented, its success is going to rely on the herds and how many people stay in those herds. So I definitely think moving out is the right move, growing your own food, living simply. Uh, if there's going to be another lockdown, well, I guess it's a good idea to like where you are mm -hmm. and to like the people around you, because if they're going to limit travel and all that, just insulate yourself into a place that you enjoy. And I think a lot of people did that, you know, people moving out of these small apartments and getting some space between them and the rest of the world. So they could have some autonomy it's a beautiful thing, and I hope it continues. But you mentioned this homestead property, and Derek and I did talk about this in our interview. You are actually one of the people living in that first Freedom Cells intentional community. What would you tell people about the experience, how it's going on this pilot property? For anyone who's thinking about trying to do something similar, what are the, the things that maybe you didn't even realize until you were actually living that way? Okay, sure. That's a great question. Something came up for me, though, with the question, what we were just talking about. You know, so the whole World Economic Forum, they anticipate that there's people that are going to buck their system and get outside the city. And in fact, that article that started spreading around. The World Economic Forum took it down from their website, but it's still on Forbes.com. And the, the headline was, Welcome to 2030. I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. Well, you read through the article, it talks about we digitized everything. We don't own anything. We just rent things. When I'm not using my bike, other people use it. When I'm not sleeping in my, my home, it's not even my home, you know, anyone can come hang out. But there's a paragraph towards the end. It says, my biggest concern is all the people who do not live in our city, those we lost on the way, those who decided that it became too much, all this technology, those who felt obsolete and useless when robots and AI took over big parts of our jobs, those who got upset with the political system and turned against it. They live different kinds of lives outside of the city. Some have formed little self-supplying communities. Others just stayed in the empty and abandoned houses in small 19th century villages. Now, I read that and I'm like, okay, this sounds like a plan, you know? So we can only hope that there'll be an element of being left alone. And there's this kind, you know, like, what's that show? It wasn't Judge Dredd, Demolition Man, where there's mm. like the folks that live underneath the street and stuff and kind of live in squalor, but they're mostly left alone. Either that or they're going to try to force compliance globally. But that's definitely a big undertaking. A lot of people give these clowns more credit than I think they deserve. but. Yeah, we're trying to live it, right? So I try to practice everything I preach as much as possible. Derek most definitely is practicing what he preaches way more than I am. And I always applaud him and salute him for that. He's like, he's no taxes, no bank accounts, all that stuff, which has it's some struggles, especially when you're doing business with a guy. But I, I salute him for that and something that we should all strive towards. But when it comes to, you know, walking the walk, we encourage people to move out of the city. That's what we did. We got a 10-acre homestead. And it was a smaller home. We have a guest house and we have our first two community members. So it's our intention to have several people out there, maybe plop a family or two as well, because I have two kiddos so they can grow up together. We did learn that there are some limitations because of some of the 
county ordinances and what you can do with the septics and this, that, and the other. But we do have two people that are both Freedom Cell members. They both work really closely with me. One of them does a really good job tending to the property, and he's put in a lot of work helping us to build out the chicken coop and some of the food production systems. And the other woman's another Freedom Cell person who's like my right-hand lady for our local Freedom Cell activity. She works with me and our companies as well. And, you know, it's nice. It's nice. You come home from work and there's somebody sitting there in a little circle. We got a little circle around a little fire pit. And if you want to hang out and chit chat and enjoy the nice weather, you can do that. You know, many hands makes for light work. So we got this 10 acre homestead. We hardly use all 10 acres in the lease bit. In fact, we probably only use about 10 acres as far as the food production and where we spend a lot of time. But if it wasn't for Brad, who's out there all the time, we would be way behind when it comes to our food production stuff. Because I, I love my work, but I spend a lot more time in the office than I do on the homestead. But because we have those people, because we have a connection and because we have a united goal, we have a common goal and common values, it makes it easier to succeed in our goals of becoming more self-sufficient, more self-reliant. Self-sufficient is really a misnomer because I just shared with you that I wouldn't be able to do it alone, right? So it's like a community sufficiency that we have going. And it is an intentional community. We don't own the land cooperatively. And it was our intent, my fiance and I, in this first kind of experiment, we wanted to be in control of the property. We have kids, you know, we didn't want to go in cooperatively only to discover that perhaps there's some personality differences here or there. But we are also working on creating an investment fund, actually, with the purpose, with the intent of buying 100 plus acres and fully developing a liberty-based, regenerative agriculture, natural building, intentional community neighborhood of sorts here in Central Texas. So I firmly believe that if we want to create freedom in our lifetime, perhaps, or at least in our kids' lifetime what I call the Confederation of Freedom Cell Communities is going to be a big accelerator of that. And it essentially lies in whether you have a homestead on your own, but you're still linked up with your neighbors and the freedom people in the area, or you bring together eight, 20, however many people to cooperatively buy a larger piece of land that you all live on together in a true intentional community. When those communities start to develop and start to grow, we link them up, we support one another. This guy down the street has the tractor that we use whenever we need to clear out some of the land. The homeschool co-op takes place five minutes down the road, and there's a family there that takes lead on the six kiddos, and they help them to learn about all sorts of great stuff, entrepreneurship, growing food, academics. These guys got the chickens, but over there, they got the goat milk. We all trade amongst ourselves, and like the World Economic Forum said, we have self-supplying communities. And it's my hope that if we can decouple as much as humanly possible from the existing systems, if we can no longer rely on their electric grid, if we can no longer rely on their law enforcement, if we can no longer rely on any of their institutions or services in order to maintain a standard of living, then it makes it easier when the day comes that we declare our independence and opt out because we can make the argument that we're no longer using your services. Why should we be forced to subsidize them? Frankly, we want to have nothing to do with you outside of a little wave here and there. But So that's my vision with the Freedom Cell, the Confederation of Freedom Cell Communities. I think it could actually work. Mm -hmm. Well, it is a vision I appreciate. Totally an inspiration. And I think a lot of people are thinking along those lines. 
And in terms of that little piece of the article you read, I do like that. It sounds like maybe to some extent they would leave us alone. <laughs> we can but I, yeah, I mean, because obviously that's all we can do is kind of do our own thing and, and hope that it doesn't turn into, um, you know, one of these. I can't even think of an example, but uh, Waco. Yeah, a Waco situation. I was like, I just listened to like an eight hour podcast on the Waco situation. I can't wow. even think of what it's called. Um, but anyway. The financial freedom aspect is another thing I wanted to fit in here. Clearly, they're going to tighten the screws not only on people like us, but also create a culture where people might self-police the content they consume because of fear of repercussions. We had that dust up with PayPal recently where they were going to just take 2500 from people over funding misinformation. And we had a mass reaction, which is good. So they said they just put it out in error, though... I heard they just slipped it right back in quietly. Happens all the time. There's a big reaction and then people move on to the next thing and whatever they were upset about, <laughs> it's in the terms of service anyway. But then you got Alex Jones ordered to pay almost a billion dollars for asking questions about an event. It's like, okay, is it illegal to be wrong? I mean, you know, regardless of what you even think about Sandy Hook, is it illegal to be curious about details that don't match the narrative? There really was no fallout for his position as opposed to like Bush and Cheney and their role in 9-11 and the weapons of mass destruction lie. How many billions do they pay? It's like such an insane thing when you didn't actually harm a person. You just speculated about events. And then, of course, we're watching Kanye be canceled. So the info war is real and they are trying to cut us off from funding, but that's really just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to their plans for digital and programmable money. And you are in a pretty unique position to talk about the financial aspects because you also have a company called Brave Botanicals and you sell Kratom, which is one of the things the system doesn't like. And you've constantly had to find creative ways to stay in business. So you've wrestled with this problem before it has started to reach the rest of us. What have you learned and what should the rest of us expect? Help us navigate this programmable money, digital dollar situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. because uh, Yeah, I, my first successful company, and of course, success has a lot to do with persistence because I have two successful companies and we're starting a third one. But if <laughs> there's a graveyard of companies and organizations before these ones that actually made it. But yeah, so I sell Kratom, CBD, Delta 8 THC. It's a company called My Brave Botanicals. The website's mybravebotanicals.com. And these products, especially the Kratom, the government's not very fond of them. In fact, there's a program not very many people know about from the Obama era where the Department of Justice, they instituted this program called Operation Choke Point. And essentially, they said that the intent was to limit payday lender money laundering. In reality, what they ended up doing was essentially leveraging the federal government, which in turn put pressure on the banks, which in turn put pressure on the credit card companies to not process transactions with undesirable industries. Those industries include Kratom, CBD, Delta 8, cannabis, head shops firearm stores, adult toy stores, gentlemen's clubs. These are some of my favorite industries here. And here we have the government making, I'm just kidding, kind of kidding. But essentially, they just pressure the credit card companies. So I started off doing this company in 2016 selling Kratom. 
And I had a brick and mortar business that we operated out of. And we used this, the traditional credit card terminal where you swipe and I would take orders online and then we would enter the card manually. Well, my guy that handled my account came and said they shut the account down because it came clear that we were selling Kratom. So then I was like, okay, well, let me try Stripe. That got shut down. My roommate's Stripe account got shut down. Let me try PayPal. At the time, I created like five or six dummy accounts and people would place their order and then I would send myself a PayPal invoice rotating through these accounts and I would enter the card info on the invoice and the amount of their purchase. And that was actually, I thought, a pretty clever way to get around it. But that got shut down. My PayPal account got shut down. Cash App used to have a link you could send people where people could manually enter a credit card number. That got shut down as well. My girlfriend's PayPal account got shut down. Later on, more recently, I started another company, Live Free Academy, and I was able to start a new PayPal account. And I was like, okay, this is great because it's pretty convenient, right? Well, more recently, I received a larger than normal payment for some affiliate commission for this promotion I did. And they ended up shutting my account down. They, not only did they freeze the money, but they banned me just for receiving a larger than normal amount of money. So that was just a big eye opener. And I always, like I said before, I, I take these as opportunities to grow and learn. So that basically forced me to redouble my commitment to helping people find alternative solutions. So of course, in spite of all that stuff trying to shut me down, I decided I was going to be persistent. I was going to stop trying to deal with these little hacks and these little tricks to take credit card. And instead, I was going to educate my audience, my customer base about eCheck. So that's one solution. Although as the CBDC rolls out, this isn't going to be optimal. It'll just be tied in with the CBDC system. But we do take eCheck, which isn't shut down. That's where you do an electronic check with your checking account and routing number. And of course, cryptocurrency. Because of the decentralized nature of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, there is no third party, there is no corporation, there is no board of directors that can be coerced and pressured not to do business with anybody. There's nobody that can get in the way of me and my clients doing one of these transactions, which I think is a very, very beautiful thing. I've been doing crypto stuff since 2012, 2013. But rest assured, that was just my experience before everyone started talking about all this CBDC stuff and before it became clear that in Canada, for example, they would shut down people's bank accounts for supporting a peaceful protest movement. This is the future that they all want for us. And in addition to what I shared earlier about moving out of the city, I think preemptively setting ourselves up so that we can opt out of and navigate around this central bank digital currency programmable money system is perhaps one of the best things that we can do. And I do have a few solutions that people can employ now that I'd love to share with your audience. Yes, let's do it. I guess I think the CBDC thing is pretty scary. The categories to all expenses, the idea of being like you attended a protest via your geolocation. And since we have access to your bank account connected to your geolocation, you are now shut off from buying X, Y, or Z. Or your family used too much energy, so you can't travel for 12 months or buy any more red meat. I mean, these sound so insane, but the path towards them is being laid right now and we're being led right down it. Talk to us about some of your solutions. Sure, sure. I recently did a webinar. It was like a three-hour webinar, totally free. It was the Great Financial Reset Response webinar. And I spent a lot of time talking about CBDCs. But 
the replay for that closed, but I opened it back up with a special link just for your audience. So if people want to check out the webinar where I break down exactly what we're facing with this financial reset, the financial aspects, which most of the great reset is financial, in my opinion, it has to do with economics. But I opened up the replay for your audience to check out libfree.academy slash THC, hmm. libfree.academy slash THC, and folks can access that webinar. But basically, what they're aiming to do is create an environment where they can socially engineer the public, where they can threaten the ability for people to purchase certain goods and services in an effort to manipulate their behavior to do things that they wouldn't normally have done. I study a lot of tactics and strategy, and when I study the New World Order agenda, I do so with the eye towards how can I protect my family from this? How can I help other people to avoid this nightmare? And I realize that one of their weapons, one of their tools, one of their tactics is to put people in discomfort, to put people in pain, to threaten people's livelihoods to limit their rights and or privileges. Of course, they think all our rights are privileged these days in order to compel them to do what they want them to do when they wouldn't have done said thing in the first place. And of course, we saw this play out with the shots. So that's what's going to happen with the CBDC system. So in order to avoid that future, right, I think it's critical that right now we do three things, three really important things. Number one, we learn how to use decentralized privacy-based cryptocurrencies such as Monero. I'm a big fan of Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency. If people are to invest in cryptocurrencies, I still would encourage Bitcoin and almost entirely Bitcoin. But that's for folks that are doing well. I don't recommend people that are on the come up or struggling financially to be putting any money into Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. I think they should be putting any excess money they have into themselves. It's the best investment anyone can make to invest in themselves. That means greater skills, online courses, training, becoming a better salesperson, learning how to more effectively communicate and persuade. That's the most important investment. But if people are doing well and they got extra money, then Bitcoin is a good place for that. But nonetheless, besides investing in Bitcoin, what's more important now as things change is learning how to use cryptocurrency in commerce. And I specifically say Monero as compared to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, because many cryptocurrencies have a transparent and public blockchain, meaning every transaction that you send from one address to another address on the Bitcoin or Ethereum blockchain can be tracked, traced, and surveilled. So if you purchase cryptocurrency through an exchange that requires you to do a know your customer KYC check, meaning you scan your driver's license, that transaction is tied to your identity and so can the future transactions and the trail that Bitcoin leaves behind on the blockchain. The blockchain, if your audience isn't familiar, is just a decentralized distributed database that collects the information about who sent what to whom on a given cryptocurrency network. Well, Monero, Monero has a completely private blockchain. All the transactions, it cannot be known who sent what to whom, how much was sent what the new balance is for both parties. It's all totally private and secret. And the government's not very happy about this. In fact, they recently offered to pay a reward to a hacker if they could hack or crack Monero's algorithm. Mm. It was actually the IRS that did that. So you can tell they're kind of a little frustrated about this. But anyway, if people want to do business with one another online, Monero and other privacy-based cryptocurrencies are going to be the tool to get that done outside of their scope. 
I still recommend people doing local barter networks, trading amongst one another, time banks, silver coins, whatever it may be, whatever suits your fancy. But if we want to do business online with one another, you better hope that you know how to use cryptocurrency before this all rolls out. Secondly, I think it's important for people to develop a source of income that they control. We understand now that people's employment through big corporations, especially, you're susceptible if you have your entire sustenance provided by a mega corporation that can be easily leveraged or manipulated into forcing people to do things with the threat of losing their job. That's why I'm a big fan of entrepreneurship. It's very challenging, and I'm not going to tell you it's easy, but the freedom that comes along with it, the freedom to pack up and take a vacation if you'd like. Now, mind you, I've hardly ever stopped thinking about my business. So one of the downsides is you can't just turn off the switch like many people do when they get home from their nine to five. But I'm in control of my money. I have a giant list of clients that I've done business with that I have trust and relationship and equity built up with that group of people. So as things shift, as things change, I can continue to receive income from those people by servicing them and helping them to solve their common problems. If people have a full-time job or if someone's retired, perhaps, you don't have to go full-on running a business, which takes a lot of work, dedication, and time, but I would recommend at least having a side hustle. A side hustle is just something that you do on the side that allows you to trickle in maybe $500 or $1,000 a month extra. It'll increase your quality of life and your standard of living, but also if you have to leave your job or if the social security payments that you're receiving all of a sudden are contingent upon you taking a shot or accepting some mark of the beast chip or whatever, you'll be able to make an easier decision to say no because you at least have something coming in beyond their control. And the final piece, which is perhaps the most important, is that it's fundamentally critical that we all take proactive steps right now to build the counter economy, as Samuel Edward Konkin called it in the New Libertarian Manifesto. That entails whenever we have a plumbing problem, whenever we want to hire a tutor for the kids, whenever we want to do any type of service or good, let us make every attempt to purchase that from within our community ahead of time. We actually built like a Craigslist style Agora listing service on freedomcells.org. Anybody could use it for free. Freedomcells.org is how you join the Freedom Cell Network. Trade amongst one another. Start building those relationships. Buy your food from the local farmer and talk to the local farmer about barter and silver. The idea is as they roll out their controlled central bank digital currency surveillance system to the mainstream, we have already preemptively built our own economic connections, our own parallel systems, so we can continue to do business with one another without all of a sudden it coming as a surprise and we're forced to scramble in order to make ends meet. All of these three things will make it easier for us to say no to what they will be offering and still maintain some semblance of normalcy because we all, like the squirrel stashing the pecans aside, we all did the work now before it was too late. <laughs> well said. Boom. <laughs> I like it. He likes it. And I agree, man. I think the audience is going to appreciate that special link. And I also just added Monero to the list of potential ways people can pay for the extended hour of this show. I'm nice. pretty much down with anything. I barter with people. If people have their own side hustles, I'm like, well, what do you do? You know, do you have something my wife or kid would like? Let's just, you know, do it outside of the system. Like, I'm pretty open because having this structure, there's no cost to me to 
you know, letting someone in as opposed to someone who's going to give me like a physical item in exchange for access to a digital product. It's like, sure, works for me. If it works for you, it works for me. Um, so yeah, I'm getting a small taste of the economies outside of the economies, uh, alternative transactions, but it's just kind of sad to me that there's not more of it. It's like, if I was, if I was cut out of the main financial system the people who pay in Monero or pay in Barter or pay in Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's not enough to even eat. So I would love to see more people on board to these alternative systems and, and support them because that seems to be the best insurance policy to the future that's coming. And, you know, like you, I see a lot of value in the crypto space. I don't know why anyone would prefer less options or rally against crypto as some new tool of the system when we've been using tightly controlled fractional reserve banking our whole lives. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on the Allison McDowell stuff? I know she's proven to be a difficult personality, <laughs> but I like to separate that from the work. And the work is great when it comes to human capital new financial markets trading on sustainable development goal compliance and blockchain being a big part of that. Not to say it's all bad, but how do you see the cabal using the digital tech and the blockchain to control us beyond just the central bank digital currencies? Because this seems to get into education, health and healthcare. Yeah, she does do really good work. And I still utilize some of her research to help empower you know, my understanding of things. But she is very, very, very opposed to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology in general. And I think, you know, interestingly enough, because she does have such a bright mind, she seems to not be able to see the nuance, the gray, right? Same with all sorts of different instances and issues. It's not all good or bad, good or evil, black or white. There's some examples of nuance in the middle. And I think cryptocurrency is one of these examples. So on the offset, I strongly believe it to be untrue that cryptocurrency, Bitcoin specifically, was created by the cabal. There's this white paper that the NSA put out decades ago that people often refer to. But if you actually understand Bitcoin and blockchain technology and you actually read the white paper, which many people don't, they just read an article or a headline, of course, You'll find that the technology that they're speaking about in the NSA white paper is not what Bitcoin is. It's lacking several of the key innovations that came, especially the mining incentivization for people to verify transactions on a decentralized network, which is pretty freaking cool. So I think it's just the same with a firearm. A firearm is a tool that can be used for good. You can use it to defend your household from attackers. Firearms have been used historically to rise up and overthrow tyrannical governments. But firearms are also used by tyrannical governments to oppress people, not to mention they're used by hijackers and rapists and all sorts of criminal elements. But it's the tool itself that in many ways has a neutral ethics to it, right? Same thing with cryptocurrency. Early on when I first heard about crypto back in 2011, 2012, and then I started really diving deep in 2013 and, and made it one of the focal points of my activism. I was very optimistic. And, you know, we back then we thought that Bitcoin is going to end the Fed. And this is our moment in history where we end the central banks. Well, we really underestimated the central banks because they are now leveraging the technology, essentially. Most central bank digital currencies, people may not be aware, it's not actually going to be utilizing blockchain technology. Rather, it's just a digital currency. Most likely the database will be centralized. 
but of course they're borrowing from that. And in fact, the CBDCs, I think, it was always an intent to have a, a cashless society controlled grid, right? Like the Club of Rome has been talking about that for a long time, even before the technology existed. I appreciate how you pointed out, by the way, that's something I often say that this New World Order plan has been underway for more than a century, but now the technology is finally caught up with their diabolical aims, and that's why it's really crunch time right now. So I'm, I'm glad that you pointed that out in your intro. But I think the CBDCs in large part came in response as a pivot, as an opportunity to try to present another thing before everybody just totally started adopting the cryptocurrencies, but they are still coming. But like you said, Allison correctly points out that this global identity system, which will go hand in hand with the CBDCs, which will go hand in hand with your access to public goods and services, transportation, which will go hand in hand to analyzing education for the students and it follows you on and your health records, all this stuff. That'll go hand in hand with the CBDCs along with the social credit score system and the cabal, the fourth industrial revolutionaries. That's the merging of biology and technology that Klaus Schwab is pushing for. They most definitely are going to be leveraging blockchain technology for this digital identity system. It's because blockchain is basically a more effective and efficient means of hosting a database, right? And so, of course, we can't put it past them that a new technology comes along that works very well. They're most definitely going to implement it and use it however they see fit to further their goals. But who says that we have to cede this technology to the enemies of freedom? And a lot of people get caught up in this victim mentality where they say, well, they're going to use it for this. I've heard that they're going to use it for that. Therefore, it's bad. As an empowered person, I say I recognize the power that this technology holds. Its decentralized nature makes it so that the 15,000 nodes that are running the Bitcoin blockchain all throughout the world in almost every single country, there's no possible way to shut each and every one of them down. Therefore, this system is anti-fragile. It's going to exist no matter if government wants it to or not. I say let's utilize the system in order to create commerce channels that are outside of their system. And for the folks that are incorrectly, in my opinion, deciding that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is the enemy, they're doing themselves a great disservice. And the ultimate irony lies in the fact that it's decentralized privacy-based cryptocurrencies that are precisely going to be our greatest tool to circumvent the mark of the beast system. They're not the mark of the beast system. They're the answer to the mark of the beast system. So I would challenge folks to reconsider their opinion if they are the people that throw the baby out with the bathwater and because blockchain technology is being used for malintent over here, it can't possibly be used for good purposes, privacy, freedom, financial freedom over here. I would really challenge people to revisit that. I did a whole webinar also on cryptocurrency. It was like four hours and I specifically broke down a lot of these objections people have. They can turn it off when they shut off the internet. It can be hacked. A government can just make it illegal. It's not secure, right? And so I did this whole webinar, buildwealthoptout.com, buildwealthoptout.com. And I especially would challenge folks that are just completely out on Bitcoin or cryptocurrency to give it a shot to watch it because I really make a strong case on how it's going to be this tool, this liberating tool. We get to be the ones to decide if it's used for good or not through our actions. So let us take those actions because when the CBDC system is rolled out, I promise you it's going to be the only way we can do business online and there's not a damn thing they can do about it. So yes, it's being used for digital identity. It's being used 
to analyze, track and trace, impact investing, and all this other great reset funding type stuff. But it's also being used by me to send money to Derek Bros without anybody being able to do a damn thing about it. It's also being used by me to continue to do business with my clients, helping them with this incredible natural health product. And it's being used by free people all over the world to operate outside of their purview. And that's a very beautiful thing. It is. It is, to use a phrase that I often use. But man, this has been a lot of fun. We covered a ton of ground as we are pulling this thing together. Talk to us about the Greater Reset Conference and some of the speakers that are going to be there. I'm going to try to make it to the Texas event, but I do have some other commitments right around that time. So I'm not sure how it's going to shake out. Happy to be a sponsor, though. Appreciate the hookup on your end. And um, yeah, just tell us about why it'd be a great place to go. Sure. So yeah, the Greater Reset's taking place January 18th through the 22nd, 2023. It's our response to the Great Reset Agenda. So as we first started learning about the Great Reset Agenda, of course, it's basically the same agenda as before. I like to call it New World Order 2.0 because of the whole fourth industrial revolution aspect. But me and Derek were like, you know, all people are doing is just talking about the Great Reset. They're just pumping out articles and little documentaries and videos. And we're like, what if we brought people together and presented an alternative to the Great Reset? We called it the greater reset. So the whole idea is to bring together activists, entrepreneurs, visionaries, permaculturists, technologists, people doing incredible things in the world and have them present their ideas with a focus on solutions. So more so than calling it a conference or a festival, like there's a lot of freedom events already, we call it an activation. That's the type of event. It's an activation. It's an event that's deliberately designed to get people more active, taking greater action towards the creation of a better world and of more freedom. So we're really excited. This will be the fourth iteration. It's broadcast live online. Anyone can watch absolutely for free. It's really a community service that we're doing to try to help improve the world. But people can join in person either in Bastrop, Texas, here in Central Texas, my Business Liberty Academy and the Central Texas Freedom Cell Network will be hosting that event. Or down in Morelia, Mexico, Derek and Ramiro are hosting that event. And the cool thing about this event is like, I, I do a lot of events myself, and it's a challenge. It's easy to do an online event. It's easy to do an in-person event. It's a big challenge to do a hybrid online in-person, and it's most definitely a challenge to do a hybrid online with two separate in-person venues one in Texas, one in Mexico, but it's really special what we're able to pull off. And I think it's something that's very unique. And again, it's all about empowerment. We've got some really great speakers this time around. We're going to be joined by Tom Woods. He's an author, activist. He's got a real big solutions focus nowadays with his Tom Woods School of Life. Glenn Meter of the Privacy Action Plan. Mark Moss, who's a real good financial analyst pushing back on the Great Reset. My lovely fiance will be there. Christian Westbrook is speaking. Jack Spierko. Texas Slim, of course, Derek, James Guzman, my good friends Richard and Amani, they do Haven Earth PMA, Natural Building, Sayer G will be presenting, Alex Zek, Paul Wheaton of permies.com, he's a big permaculture guy, and perhaps our biggest headliner, of course, is the one, the only Dell Bigtree, he'll be presenting as well. So 
We're super excited to be doing this. People can get more information at thegreaterreset.org, thegreaterreset.org. Again, it's January 18th through the 22nd. Anybody can watch for free online, but I highly encourage people to join us in Texas or Mexico because the energy in the room when you bring together this many freedom-loving people and they're all focused on co-creating a better world, it's just the empowered people coming together to plot and plan. They have their little plotting and planning meetings in Davos and all the Bilderberg stuff. Well, we're having a plotting and planning meeting so we can create more light, more freedom, more joy, more abundance in this world. And anybody could be a part of it. Again, you can check out the website at thegreaterreset.org. And I highly encourage you to sign up for our email newsletter to stay on top of the latest updates. I love it. You're just doing so many amazing things. You and Derek as a one-two punch of freedom is just really great. <laughs> and it's just to me when I, I I keep saying this at the end of these interviews, but we're reaching a six-figure audience right now. And if even just 5% of those people were like, you know, I've been listening to this podcast for a long time, hearing from all these individuals who are doing great things, the Jim Gales, the Whitney Webbs, you can take any one thing and be like, you know, this is going to be my expertise and I'm going to drill down on it. I'm going to expose it. I'm going to educate people on it. And then I'm going to present them with my entrepreneurial solution, whether it's a book on the topic, a course, so many things. And if just 5% of the audience did a quarter of what you and Derek do, my God, that would be a lot of, of action in this space. And I just, I really hope that people, instead of being just passive listeners, I mean, I'm a passive podcaster. I do my show and I retreat back to my safe space and I just uh, hang out with the family and consume uh, terrible media. And I could obviously be doing more too. I'm talking to myself as well, but you know, for the passive listeners out there, it's it's time to stop being quite so passive and taking all this knowledge you've gained and the unique alternative perspective that you have in a sea of sheep and do something with it, you know, really. And you are another inspiration in a long line of people that have been quite inspiring lately. And we obviously got to save a little room to promote the other things you're working on. Brave Botanicals, the classes, the courses, throw out all that other stuff people should know before I cut you loose. Of course, if there's any other upcoming courses and workshops, let them know. Sure, sure. So we talked a lot about the financial aspects of the Great Reset, namely the central bank digital currency system. I'm very alarmed with what's to come and I'm doing everything I can in my power to share knowledge and effective strategies for people to preemptively opt out of that nonsense. So I did this really awesome free webinar recently. We had a, just a short replay window, but in anticipation of this podcast interview, I decided to create a special link where just your audience, I mean, they could share it wherever they want, of course, but it's just for your audience to watch this replay once again. I covered some really solid material and above all else, I think it was incredibly empowering so people can step out of the fear space and also just the overwhelm of not knowing what to do. There's so much information coming at us all the time. I really break down some concrete, practical, proactive steps that people can take. The website for that to sign up for the webinar for free is livefree.academy slash THC, livefree.academy slash THC. We also chatted about the Exit and Build Land Summit. If anybody's interested in homesteading, moving out of the city, 
learning exactly what that entails. That's another free summit. People can watch the replay, exitandbuildlandsummit.com, exitandbuildlandsummit.com. I love it if folks just wanted to keep up with me. I do a daily email newsletter with a lot of fun information and cool stories. That's livefree.academy slash email, livefree.academy slash email. And if anybody in the U.S. wants to try some really high-quality CBD, Delta 8 THC, my favorite are the blueberry gummies. They're the bomb, 25 milligrams. I just have a little slither. But for seasoned cannabis users, you could take a whole one and be pretty lifted. That website's mybravebotanicals.com. In fact, people can try five gummies for free. You Mm. just pay $5 shipping and handling. We'll ship it to you. FreeD8Gummies.com. Free, the letter D, the number eight, gummies.com. $5 shipping and handling. We'll send you a free five pack. And then also people can try Kratom for free. That's this plant medicine. Helps people with stress, anxiety, helps people quit drinking, helps people quit hard drugs too. That's freeouncesofkratom.com, freeouncesofkratom.com. That's my plant medicine company, Bray Botanicals. And then finally, you can watch for free, absolutely free or better yet, there's still tickets available for the Texas experience or the Mexico experience. I highly recommend you joining us in person or at least check us out online, The Greater Reset for co-creation. It's taking place January 18th through the 22nd. TheGreaterReset.org is the website. TheGreaterReset.org is the website. And Greg, I just want to thank you once again for supporting us financially with your sponsorship. It makes a big difference in the success of these events so we can reach more people and bring in more incredible speakers. So thank you so much for helping us with that. Of course, man. I'm just trying to dip my toe into being a little more involved. Even if I can't be there in person, at least, you know, I'm I'm there in spirit And I just love to see successful entrepreneurship merged with, you know, conspiracy slash freedom slash truth, whatever you want to call it. Back in the beginning of this show, 12 years ago, even before that, I'd go to some of these conferences and they just had a really sad energy to them, these conspiracy cons and stuff where a lot of these authors are struggling to find an audience and It just really kind of wasn't an environment of success. And I just feel that changing. Of course, it's always been the criticism. Oh, these people just want to make money. Well, yeah, don't you too. (laughs) You know, when you want to levy that criticism against someone, I hope what you're doing for your income is as aligned with freedom and truth and all that kind of stuff. And it rarely is. So I love to see when the two can be merged. You can actually make a good living and be on the right team. You don't have to just work for some shitty insurance company or sell cell phones or whatever it is you do. So uh, I just think you're a great example of that as well. And thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Your passion and action are contagious. And I'm glad we got to do this. Happy to be aligned with you and Derek. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much for having me. Heck yeah. John Bush, ladies and gentlemen, I would say he crushed it. And I do this kind of thing every once in a while, but it was pretty obvious that I was trying to do a good job getting John's perspective while also shoehorning in a lot of recent news and stories that I haven't really been able to find a place for on the THC airwaves. I do this when we have a good jack-of-all-trades kind of guest and we're not doing a deep dive into a specific study or a book. And I might even say, listening back, that I get a bit too conversational for even my own liking. Part of me does just assume that we're all reading the same news as time goes on, but there are always comments about how I don't or won't talk about something. 
And usually it relates to recent news, which just never makes it into somebody's book until further down the road. And most of our guests are the result of having a book out. So yeah, a bunch of people have asked my thoughts on the We Need a Pandemic Amnesty article. And funny enough, that woman also wrote a book about it being okay to drink alcohol while pregnant. Why should you make any sacrifices ever for any reason? But it just goes to show that she's clearly very good at reading well-established scientific data relating to health. (laughs) And I figured I could just bring that article up with John because he is following the news regularly and has something to say about pretty much everything. And of course, I think the people who carried out this pandemic should be in jail or worse. That should be the most obvious thing ever. I'm only saying that I have a little grace for the everyday person who drank the Kool-Aid. I think they're naive and a bit dumb for being so trusting of the establishment. But if I were to cut out anyone who got vaccinated or strongly encouraged me and my wife to get vaccinated or heavily judged us and even in some cases uninvited us to events, I'd be writing off about... 70% of friends and family, and I'm sure that's true for a lot of us, and I think that's just a lonelier world that I don't want to live in. Dare I say that 70% need people like us in their lives, even if they don't know it. And I also wanted to give a little bit of airtime to the fallout from the VAC so far, the data on mortality rates, and the wild increases in a wide range of illnesses across the board. It's undeniable. The shot crushes the immune system, and thus all sorts of conditions manifest. I think it's becoming more and more clear, but some people still live in a fantasy world where they believe the original lies about the shot still hold water even all these months later. It is quite crazy. And then, of course, Alex Jones was another thing, him being hit with another couple hundred million just since recording this interview. For asking questions about Sandy Hook, I think the total is now close to 1.3 or 1.5 billion. Absolute insanity. You know, I've always been a bit suspect of Alex Jones. I think he fills an archetype of a crazy, over-the-top conspiracy enthusiast, and that personality type and tone has advantages to those who want people like us to look crazy and unhinged. So in that context, it's not impossible to me that this is his fulfillment of another role, an example to the rest of us showing us what will be coming. Another possibility is that he's just a discarded asset and the hammer coming down is just what happens when they've used you and the usefulness has run its course. I consider these possibilities along with the possibility that it's also genuine. It's a range and I'm not sure we can ever really know for sure, but it is a wild thing to observe. Nobody being held accountable for the weapons of mass destruction lies. Nobody held accountable for the banking lies and corruption and over-leveraging in 2008. Nobody held accountable for the LIBOR scandal. Nobody held accountable for saying you should get these vaccines and you will not get COVID. Obviously, all lies that did far more damage than asking questions about an event that seemed fishy. That's just the world now, I guess. Look at Kanye, another situation that I'm not exactly sure how to process. Some claim this is being carried out to start a new kind of race war between black people and the Jewish community, a conflict that would see a lot of regular people taking the brunt of rage against an elite class that is 
too protected to pay a consequence. And to me, that's just a perspective to keep in mind, and we'll see if that kind of conflict and race war ever even manifests. But otherwise, it seems genuine. I just don't understand why it's such a slow drip. It's like every few days, Kanye says a couple of sentences that are really explosive. But if the financial damage is done, and he's acknowledged this is dangerous stuff to talk about, where is the thing I'd expect to see where he just goes live and talks at length and in detail about the people and the contracts he keeps referencing? He's got his Instagram account, he's got his Twitter account, and he uses it to say one sentence every couple of days and then goes back to living his life, I guess? Now, exposing the text from his trainer was really interesting, where this guy said, if you want, I can just have you taken back to the hospital where you'll be in zombie land forever and not see your kids or something like that. And then this guy happens to be a Hollywood trainer with a military background who also worked for, aka handled, Brittany Murphy and Mac Miller. Yeah, that was explosive. Just the other day, saying that his mom was a sacrifice. Yes, an explosive statement. We've talked to guests like Jay Dyer, I think, and Isaac Weishaupt for sure about that very thing. But I would think a person in Kanye's position could and would want to do a lot more. It just seems like drip, drip, drip. Just enough to have people continue talking about it. Similar to how Trump would say some explosive statements and then back off of them or never really elaborate and truly make his case. Uh, I guess that is just all to say that I think the system allows for pressure valves once in a while without even going as far as I would suspect if it was all organic and genuine. But I'm just a guy trying to make sense of the big circus as best I can through what I read and the conversations that I'm lucky to have on this show. Did you hear what Dave Chappelle said in his new SNL monologue? When they're black, it's a gang. When they're Italian, it's a mob. And when they're Jewish, it's a coincidence. And you should just never speak about it. And I kind of think that's like the perfect way to phrase it. We can voice and address concerns about other types of groups controlling any type of enterprise, except one. If someone says, hey, I think the mob was involved in killing JFK, it doesn't imply they're racist against all Italian people, and the same logic should be followed through about any other similar situation. Whew, man, this is really getting away from what we talked about in this show with John. But there's just a lot of little THC-related news threads out there, and none of them really deserve a two-hour deep dive, but at least they deserve a little commentary, right? Alright, and we won't even elaborate on the fucked-up California laws I mentioned, or talk about the FTX scandal. But yeah, I've been following that one too. And anyway, what I like about Derek Bros, as well as John, is their commitment to solutions. The refusal to get caught up in the weeds arguing about small details and instead saying, yeah, well, what should we do to live better, freer lives? And they've been very successful. I would say they've pushed things through on the solution side further than the conspiracy culture has done in two decades. We get so caught up in the littlest details about what we think we know, and we don't say, hey, broad picture, yeah, we're all right. Now let's try to stay a few steps ahead. If we have the intel, let's use it. 
The ways we live need to reflect it, our diets, our online behavior, and our transactional behavior. It's all important. And if you want to dive deeper into John's free Great Financial Reset Response webinar, he opened it up with that link that he mentioned, livefree.academy. And I can tell from digging into John's work and his websites that he gets really into the data and the analytics and all the sorts of stuff that I neglect but should do better with. So it seems pretty clear that he's trying to find a way to gauge the response from this interview and see how impactful the THC audience is. So let's blow up that link and show that we are a sizable and passionate audience. The description for the webinar says, Free training webinar reveals the three secrets to surviving the controlled demolition of the economy and beating the parasites in Washington and the World Economic Forum at their own game. This is a proven path to surviving the economic crap storm we're in and coming out of it even wealthier and more financially secure than ever without bending the knee to the globalists. Well, I am sold. Sounds like material we could all benefit from. And the link is right there in your show notes if you're listening in any of the apps. So big thanks to John. I hope I can make it to the Greater Reset Activation in Texas. I would love to meet John and Texas Slim both in person, and they will both be there, along with a lot of other great guests that will be giving presentations digitally or going to the Mexico event. But speaking of events, let's look at the THC meetup calendar. If you're feeling motivated to find the others, obviously the Freedom Cells Network is an option, as is HiresideMeetups.com. It does not matter what brings you together, just that you build a better network of like-minded people as we go into an era of darkness, let's just say. But November 13th, which is today, we have the Utah Higher Sides Athena Beans Bistro Meetup. And then November 16th, the Seattle THC Inquisition coming back around. November 17th, the Sacramento THC Meetup at Q Street Bar and Grill. November 18th, Discover Durango at the Smiley Cafe Meetup in Durango, Colorado. November 20th, the Bridgewater Triangle THC Meetup at Bartlett's Ale House in West Bridgewater, Massachusetts. And filling out the November calendar, we have a November 22nd event in Frederick, Maryland at the Old Mother Brewing Co. I like it. That's a good amount of events and a lot of places where you can meet others that are just like you and like to talk about the same topics and are on the same page with a lot of stuff. So, I love it. And that said, it was a good interview today. I'm glad I finally got to meet Derek's partner in crime and talk to him and pick his brain about all kinds of different stuff. I think he has a great, robust library of classes and webinars and boot camps that can be helpful to all of us. I hope you had a good time listening and feel motivated by John's words. I've done my part, and I'm getting out of here. Your move, great resetters, techno-fascism facilitators, and World Economic Forum agents. Your fucking Sometimes when I get down, I eat a bunch of corporate junk. Process stuff that makes you fat. Yeah, it's a weak and sickly people making industry.
the digital technology And every now and then I try to quit and leave it be But it's too hard to turn it off, it's getting worse and That is another show complete. Remember, as much as you enjoyed this, which is just the free first hour, I hope you'll become a Plus member to hear the full two-hour interviews. You also can engage with other Plus members in the comments and the forums, and you'll find your answer to one of the most common questions I get, which is where can I find those cover songs that you use at the end of the show? Well, they are free downloads for Plus members too. And without Plus members, I can't hire the occasional musician to bring these odd cover song ideas to fruition. Plus members are how I'm able to do what I do without ads and without the big machine being on my back. We can fit so much more into a two-hour interview, and I do my best to make it worth your time and money. The conversation only gets deeper, weirder, and more controversial in that private hour. How could it not the way things are going? But the best way to sign up is at thehiresidechats.com where new first-time subscribers always get a free seven-day trial because I'm just that confident. There's no PayPal on the website, but if you need to use PayPal, then sign up through Patreon and you get all the same episodes. Our website is a credit or debit system, but you can also scope out the other options like a few various cryptos, cash or check mailed to the P.O. Box, and I'll even barter with most people if you have your own business and produce something nice that my wife or kid or taste buds might like. But the architects of consensus reality have made it clear that these themes and topics aren't really welcome on the main stage. And so this is how we secure a little counterculture corner for ourselves, and I hope you'll join Plus because that is the only way it works. Besides, you can cancel anytime right on your profile page. The most common concern I hear is people just being unsure if THC Plus will work with their podcast app, and the answer is probably yes. But if not, we have several high-level app recommendations for whatever phone you use, and the website is made for mobile too. We're trained to tip a waitress for bringing us a sandwich, but that tip doesn't give you access to a second sandwich. 
Really, I'm not asking for any more than that, and I think I offer a better service. Come get your second serving of tasty conspiracy goodness in exchange for that small token of your appreciation. Beyond that, let it also be known that we have grown and survived as long as we have by word of mouth. I don't care so much about social media likes or follows, but tell the right people about THC. And not just listeners, but the high-level figures who are better suited to sit down with me than most other hosts. And if you can help me with any of these things, I can work to bring you better shows, which is just a win-win for both of us. Informative, entertaining, and action-packed. It also never hurts to thank a guest you liked if you have the time either. We want them to know people are listening, so they're willing to come back down the road too. Thank you for spending some time with me, and cheers to a better tomorrow.